Oh, they could sing a hymn or read some scripture or even say a prayer. But that's as far as it goes. They don't really know Him. And so they're unworthy. And there are people like that in churches all over the world. Well, we're here tonight for a very special occasion, and that's to remember the cross on which Jesus died. Folks, let's never forget the cost God paid to keep even one of us out of hell. How did He do it? How did Almighty God manage to die for the sin of the whole world? I don't know. All I know is that God can do some things we can't. And I'm so glad about that. I'm so glad that God can hear all of the prayers of the people all over the world. They're going up. And God can make sense of it all in all the different languages. And get this, even in our native language, when we stumble and we get tongue-tied and we don't say quite the right word or something, I'm so glad the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit within us prays sometimes with groanings that cannot be uttered. And uh, that means... There's no words, so it's not talking about tongues. It's talking about something far, far better. The Holy Spirit praying on our behalf in us, and that's good. Wednesday nights, we've been studying prayer under the subject, let's learn how to pray. And I sure hope that uh, you're following that along. Do your best to be in attendance. It's always better to be in person, always. Things are so much better, don't you think, in real life? Better. So do your best. Now, I want to talk with you this evening about something maybe a little different as we get ready for um, the table of the Lord, as we search our hearts. Something that occurred to me that I want to share with you tonight. Before we do, let's pray. Our loving Father, once again, we come to you in that marvelous name of Jesus, a name that's above every name. And we know one day at the very name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. It will happen. And we don't know when, but we know it will happen. Our Father, help us to bow the knee now and to acknowledge Christ's Lordship in our lives. We thank you for a marvelous service we had this morning, Consecration Sunday. Thank you for the blessed opportunity to be able to get on our knees and to give ourselves to you once again. And my Father God, I thank you for everyone in church this morning who did that. And I thank you for everyone watching online who did that in their home. Father, it's a victory. It's an absolute victory. And the devil, he doesn't like that. And he's afraid of that. But too bad. Father, keep us on the winning side. Keep us bowing the knee every day. Now, dear Father, in just a little while, we are going to enter into that little communion service. And Lord, some of us were taught that the communion table is sort of the way of salvation and how we get to heaven. And we know that that's not true. We were just taught that. We were told by someone who didn't know. So the communion table doesn't get anyone to heaven. It does not help in anyone's salvation. But it does help in our relationship with you after we're saved. 
And so, Father, help us to improve. Do everything we can to improve that relationship with you. So bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of the oldest implements or tools known to man have been a hammer and some nails. And that's just old, old, old. And I got to thinking about this. I wonder where in the Bible we have indication of people taking up a hammer and taking up a nail. Well, the first one that comes to my mind might be Noah. God spoke to Noah and told him to build a large boat called an ark. And he did that. And it took him something like 120 years to build that. And I believe that that Noah would have used a hammer and nails. That was very common. Hammers and nails have been around for thousands and thousands of years. And I wondered, I wonder, I wonder what is the oldest uh, hammer that the archaeologists have found? Now, you get some people who claim, well, here's one that's 400 million years old. Really? Well, the funny thing is that hammers being made out of iron, they rust. They don't even last 3,000 years. So how do they last 400 million years? Well, they don't have an answer for that, do they? But Noah would have had access to hammers and nails. Now, the nails back then wouldn't have looked like the shiny nails today. Uh, We all know what today's nails look like, and there's different types of nails. There's spiral nails, there's finishing nails, big flathead nails. And then there's um, nails that they use for putting on uh, shoes on horses. That's a special kind of nail. Now, the nails that Noah may have used may have been more like some pointy with a bend on, on the top. And he'd hammer those things in. Now, none of us were there. So we're only sort of doing a little sanctified imagining. But no question, I think Noah would have been very familiar with hammer and nails. His sons would have used them. And maybe uh, his son's wives would have helped out. Here, honey, let me help you. No, pow, oh, my thumb. (laughs) How many here have ever hit their thumb with a hammer? Can you raise your hand or raise your thumb? Yeah. And it doesn't tickle. And you hit that and it just happens so fast and then it throbs. And even the next day it can still be kind of tender. Many years ago, I was up shingling the roof of our church. I can do this. And so I was up there with a hammer and nail. These little nails, you know, galvanized nails. That's another type of nail. They galvanize them to prevent rust. And so I was pounding these things in, and every sixth or seventh nail, I'd hit my thumb. Ah, it's to the grace of God, I still have a thumb today. So, I wonder if Noah ever hit his thumb with a hammer. Doesn't matter. But he would have used a hammer and nail to help build the ark, which, according to the Bible, 
was a real, a real ark, but it's also, it pictured the salvation that God offers in Christ Jesus. You're either in Christ or you're not. And if you're in, you're safe. And if you're not, you're in danger. Well, as I got thinking, well, I wonder who else might have had a hammer and nail. And lo and behold, in the book of Judges, I found a, a lady. Uh, her name was Jael. Jael rhymes with nail, doesn't it? And there was a bad guy uh, running from justice. And he came and he found her and, and said, quick, hide me. Don't, don't tell anyone I'm here. And so anyhow, she, she made him comfortable and made him lie down. And she fed him. And I don't know what else. Maybe she sang a song or stroked his head. He went to sleep. And he was a wicked, bad man. And what Jael did was she found a hammer. Maybe it was her own hammer. You know, uh, a lot of women have toolboxes, don't they? How many ladies here have a tool bag or tool box? Raise your hand. Don't be shame, shy. Good for you, ladies. God bless you. Because, you know, there's a lot of guys who hit their thumbs with hammers. They're not very good with tools. And uh, God bless the ladies who know what end of a screwdriver, you know, to turn in a screw or, you know, how to drive in a nail or something. And sometimes ladies have to know these things because their they're men are too lazy or too busy or something. So they, they have to be equipped. And so Jail, she knew what end of a, a hammer to use. And so... Lo and behold, when, when the bad guy fell asleep, she picked up a hammer, she came softly, and she got a nail. Now this nail was not a little two-and-a-half-inch finishing nail. This would have been a, a big spike, more like a, a tent pin that you'd help hold down the ropes of a tent. So it was a big, long thing. And while, I hate to tell you this, while he was asleep, she hammered that nail right through his head. And the Lord gave victory that day to this woman. And she was a godly woman. But there's an example there of someone else who used a hammer and nail and got a victory. And then, of course, we come down to the New Testament. And there was a very famous man in the New Testament. And you know him. And he was often using a hammer and nail. And he was the husband of Mary. What was his name? Joseph. And what was his profession? Carpenter. Right. Now the carpenters back then, they weren't quite the same as the carpenters today. Back then, the carpenters worked with real rough, large timber. They would help to uh, uh, build big ox carts. They would make... Um, um, what, what they would call the manger, these big boxes that the animals would eat out of. They would help to put up some timber and frame uh, a house, but heavy stuff. And so no doubt he, he was a man that had some muscle to him, but he knew how to use a hammer and a nail. And of course, Joseph took hammer and nail and he would build things, good things. And when we get to heaven... We're going to get to talk to Joseph and he's going to get to tell us. And if we want, we'll ask him, well, what sort of things did you build? And how did you learn your trade? And what did your hammer look like? 
What did your toolbox look like, Joseph? Did people employ you or were you hired by the government at all to build things? And so he was a man experienced with hammers and with nails. You know, that's only 2,000 years ago. And there are still some artifacts around today from that time. I wonder if there was around today somehow any of the nails that Joseph used to build things. I wonder if they're still around. Well, we don't know, do we? But I'd like you now to take your Bible and open up to the Gospel of Matthew. And open up to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 27. You can put both those pictures up at the same time, can you? Oh, can't you do half and half? All right, put them both up. It's a little easier that way. All right, in Matthew chapter 27. By the way, folks, can I, um, can I interject this? Whenever your heart is feeling a little on the cool or cold side or calloused or crusty side, how about that? Whenever you're feeling that you don't have quite a, a taste for fellowship with the Lord or with God's people or with the Scriptures, can I recommend some good medicine? It's called Matthew 27. Matthew 27 will lay out for you what Jesus did for you and for me. And by reading through this chapter 27, all 66 verses here, it ought to touch your heart, soften your heart. It ought to maybe bring a tear to your eye. It ought to call you back to the Father's side. And so if you're ever feeling like God is distant, read Matthew 27. All right, so we have up here on the screen a picture of a hammer and a nail. Now, I don't know how old that hammer is. It's probably not that old. But that nail, uh, I think, is quite old, at least from the picture, the, the writing of the picture that I found. It's uh, quite old, I believe. Now, here in Matthew 27, we have the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And after they mocked him and spit on him and beat him and so on, it says in verse 31 at the end there that they led him away to crucify him. And of course, there's a man from Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled him to bear his cross. And verse 33, And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull. And they called it that because it sort of looked like that. That little mountainous, very small, tiny little hill. It, you, know, you got back and you look at it and it sort of looked like a skull. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. It was a numbing kind of a drink, like a Tylenol. The, at least they offered it to him. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And verse 35, and they crucified him. Now the crucifixion, of course, was a, a real ghastly way to die. And they would have laid him down 
naked on a cross, an old rugged cross. Stretched out his arms, possibly tied them there with rope, and drove nails into his hands. They would have pushed his legs down and got his feet together and drove one nail through both feet. Now these would be long nails, wouldn't they? And right into the wood of the cross. And there would have been a, a little piece of wood on which he could sort of support himself. And they wanted that because the idea of death on the cross was to prolong death. Back in World War II, some of the Nazis, to show their disdain and their hatred for someone, they would hang them from a post. They'd tie their hands, of course, and hang them with a piano wire. And then they'd have a doctor nearby with a stethoscope. And when they seemed to have died or almost died, they'd let them down and revive them. And then they'd hang them again. How cruel can you get? But the cross was even worse. Often, victims on the cross would last for several days. Death was, it was drawn out into a symphony for the bloodthirsty crowd. And they loved it. It's amazing how a crowd can start to lust for blood. You've heard the stories in the Colosseum and the gladiators and how they would fight to the death and people would put their thumbs up or put their thumbs down or something, you know, let them live, let them die, and they loved to see the blood. That's what people wanted to see, this gory death. During the French Revolution, they were lining up the royals to cut their heads off and the crowds would come They'd bring their lunches in baskets. They'd sit there and they'd be knitting. And then when the blade was raised, there was dead silence. Maybe the sound of a drum. And then whoosh would come the blade. We're talking human humans, people that would watch this gore. The sight of crucifixions in the Roman Empire back in Jesus' day was a common sight. It was the capital punishment for anyone who was not a Roman citizen. Roman citizens were exempt from crucifixion. I mean, they could be put to death also, but like have their head cut off. That's much faster. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul because he was a Roman citizen. Jesus, being a Jew, was not a Roman citizen. And so, crucify him, crucify him. All down through earth's history, There's something very wicked, very insane about human nature to cry out for blood. And our Lord Jesus was forced upon an old rugged cross and they took hammer and nails and they they drove them into His hands and feet. They set Him up like a spectacle. And they got back and they mocked him still and said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the Christ, let him come down from the cross now and we will believe him. But you know, if Jesus had come down, they would not have believed him. They would have screamed, He's getting away, he's escaping, quick, grab him. They wouldn't have believed him because they didn't want to. 
But the Lord Jesus could have come down, as the song says, He could have called 10,000 angels to come and set Him free, put to death all of the scoundrels before Him. But He didn't. He stayed there and died for you and for me, for our sins. Well, the story of the hammer and nail doesn't end there. Not only did Noah use a hammer and nail, and Jael use a hammer and nail, and Joseph use a hammer and nail, and these Roman guards use a hammer and nail. But listen to me. God Himself, Jesus Christ, used a hammer and nail. I want you to see that. If you turn to the right, go to the, the little book of Colossians. So it's past Romans and First and Second Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 2. I want you to see this. Jesus also used a hammer and nail. In chapter 2, let's see. We'll start in verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now pause there for a minute. If all your trespasses have been forgiven, how many of them are forgiven? What's the answer? What about all your past trespasses? Are they forgiven? Yes. How about all your present trespasses? Are they also forgiven? How about all your future trespasses? Are they also forgiven? Yes, they have to be. Because all it would take is one sin to keep you out of heaven. One unforgiven sin. Now, how long ago did Jesus die for you? How long ago? Approximately. Tell me. 2,000 years ago. So 2,000 years ago, think of it, 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins were yet in the future? 2,000 years ago, how many? All of them. When Jesus died for you, He did a complete job. Every sin you've ever committed or are in the present state of committing or will commit, the Lord Jesus died for those sins. How did He do it? We'll find out one day in heaven. But you see, this is so important. He's forgiven you all trespasses. Now watch verse 14. Read it out loud with me. You folks at home also, Colossians 2.14. I want you to read it together with us here at church tonight. Everyone, let's read verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Jesus picked up a hammer and nail. And to His cross, He nailed every creepy, rotten, trespassing sin you and I have ever done. Everything that stood against us, barring us from heaven, barring us from being saved, Jesus Picked up a hammer and nail. Isn't that, isn't that good? Yes? Isn't that, isn't that exciting? Aren't you glad 
the story of the hammer and the nail has a happy ending. Amen? Well, I'd like you now to turn back to the left to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I'd like you to follow along here with me as I begin reading at verse number 23. 1 Corinthians, not 2. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. To, to partake unworthily means in an unsaved condition. To be unworthy means there's no worth. There is no worth. What do you do with things that have no worth or value to you? What do you normally do with them? Get rid of them. You put them in the trash can. Men and women who are not born again, who are not in Jesus, they are of no worth to God. God puts them in hell. And there are people today in churches around the world that are not born again. They're not in Jesus Christ. They've never had a born again experience. They've never experienced the new life. They've never experienced the joy of, of walking with the Lord and feeling the, the hunger and thirst for His fellowship. The joy of being with God's people. They, they know nothing of that. Or they could sing a hymn or read some scripture or even say a prayer. But that's as far as it goes. They don't really know Him. And so they're unworthy. And there are people like that in churches all over the world. Sometimes they fool us and we think they're saved when really in their heart they know they're not saved. And when they go ahead and partake, well, what does it say here? It says they're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It's as if they drove the nails in. It's as if they put the crown of thorns on His forehead, spat upon Him. It's if they had taken a spear and driven it into His side. They're guilty, guilty, guilty. Verse 28, But let a man examine himself. The context means make sure you're saved. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. So very important that everyone know if they're saved. So examine yourself. 
And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, now it gets even worse. Look at this. Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Damnation is as bad as it gets. It's a biblical word that means totally, utterly destroyed beyond any ability to repair. It's that bad. It's so totally gone. It can't be redeemed. That's damnation. That doesn't happen to born-again Christian people. It happens to unsaved people in a place called hell. So he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. You say, how can that be? It means that one day that unsaved man or woman will stand before God and as their life is played out, all of the sins and wickedness they've done, up on the big screen is also going to be when they sat in church and ate and drank of the communion table. It's going to be a testimony against them that will further put them deeper into hell. Verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you. Look at that. There's physical problems as well. And many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves we should not be judged. So now we're back to the, the, the believer, the individual. We need to keep short accounts with sin. Sin still happens. If we say we, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Sin is still part of the human experience, even for the Christian. And sin needs to be dealt with. How do we deal with it? Jesus is not going to die on the cross all over again for those sins. No. That's where we go to Jesus and we confess our sins. And then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You say, but pastor, I thought you said earlier Jesus died for everything. If He died for everything, what do we need to confess for? Here's why. When you got saved, the blood of Jesus was applied to your whole life, past, present, and future. Positionally, Every sin has been covered for, spoken for, paid for. Your entrance to heaven is based upon having Jesus. But your moment by moment, day by day fellowship with Jesus is based upon quick confession of sin. You see, sin in the Christian's life will not affect their eternal security, their salvation. It will affect their close walk with God. It, it affects it. We've all been through it. We, we know what we're talking about. Sin is deadly, nasty business. It's like a numbing drink. You have too much of sin and your heart is really numb. The Holy Spirit can speak and shout and you won't even hear Him. Sin does that. That's why we need to confess our sins to get that fellowship, that closeness back with the Lord. By the way, sin will be confessed. Either you can confess your sins in private and secret to the Lord Jesus here on earth, or when He takes you home, you can confess your sin to Him in front of untold millions of people. Sin must be confessed. So, what's it going to be? What would you rather here, in secret, just you and Jesus, or up in heaven, in front of everyone. 
Well, take it or leave it. That's biblical truth. So we get here to verse 32. But when we are judged, that means that we're not confessing it ourselves. We're not dealing with it. Now God has to do it. When we're judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You see, again, we're not going to die and go to hell like the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And here's, here's the next step now, is we need to pause for prayer. Every one of us. We need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, is there anything in my life? This morning I gave myself to you and I asked you to cleanse me of everything. What between this morning and now this evening, has sin crept in? Have I said something I shouldn't have said? Have I entertained thoughts that I shouldn't have? Have I taken something? Have I done something? Gone someplace? Lord, is there anything in my life that's not right with you? You be honest with the Lord and the Lord will be honest with you. And he'll show you. Now, of course, if you go to God and say, Lord, there's nothing in my life, is there? Right? And God will say, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought so. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing in my life. Boy, God and me, we're two peas in a pod. There's, praise God, I haven't sinned in 20 years. If we say we have no sin, we deceive somebody. Who do we deceive? Yeah, point to yourself. Go ahead, do it. Take your finger, point to yourself. We deceive ourselves if we say we have no sin. So let's do that, shall we? Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.